Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. As Christians, we confess that Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Mary, is the unique Son of God, the Messiah, the Lord, and the Savior. In fact, we acknowledge Him to be God incarnate. So here's a question. When did Jesus know? When did Jesus know his true identity? When did Jesus know that he was the Messiah, the unique Son of God and Son of Man? Now that's a very important question because our answer to it can indicate some deficiency in our theology. For instance, if you hold the idea that that Jesus, as a baby in the crib, knew that he was God enfleshed, then you would be, in essence, denying the reality of his incarnation. Because you see, Jesus is the unique son born of Mary, but he's of divine origin because she became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. There was no human male involved. But Jesus existed before he was born. Now hold on to your hats because we don't know that anyone else like this. He is definitely unique. But here is Jesus before he was Jesus. We find him in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John opens with these magnificent words. In the beginning was the Logos. We translate the Word. And the Word was with God. That means he was like face to face. Like a relationship of intimate friendship or of father and son. And the Word was God. Not only was he with God, but he was God. And this is true from in the beginning. So whenever the beginning began, the word was already there with God and was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. But here's the next great step. This one, the word, who's always been in union and fellowship with the Father in the unity of the one Godhead, this word, this Logos, became flesh and he dwelt among us. We observed his glory, John writes. The glory is the only, the one and only son from the Father. That's the unique son from the Father. Sometimes we say that the begotten son of the Father. It's very difficult to translate this word to the true concept that's there, full of grace and truth. So the word became flesh. That is, he took on humanity and he dwelt among us as a male human being. Now, when he did this, he clothed himself with humanity and the humility of being a man. Philippians 2 has this magnificent Christological hymn. I don't know if Paul is quoting it or if Paul himself composed it, but listen to these words. He's exhorting Christians to have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had, who, 
existing in the form of God. Did you get that? Existing in the morphe, the very form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, to be held on to. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So the humanity in which the word assumes is mortal, capable of dying. Now, this is very important in the purposes of God. I was quoting from the Christian Standard Version, and I'm using either the Christian Standard Version or the English Standard Version in my remarks. Well, how did all this come to pass? Well, we know the story of the Annunciation, that is the announcement to Mary that she's been chosen by Almighty God to be the mother of Messiah. And when he came to her with this great, extraordinary news, telling her who's an a virgin, a young virgin, never been more, never been married, and never had any kind of sexual relationship with the male. Mary asked the angel, "How can this be, since I've not had sexual relations with a man?" The angel replied to her, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God." So Jesus was born. He was born just like any other male, like any other human baby. He came out of the womb in the same way. There was crying. There was pain. He was presented to be circumcised on the eighth day. And after 40 days, the mother went through the ritual of her cleansing and again the dedication of the child to Jehovah, to God. And so we read in Luke chapter 239, and when they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up, became strong and filled with wisdom, and God's grace was upon him. Now, there's a lot of distance in time between the completion of the ceremony and their moving to Nazareth because there was a flight into Egypt to save the child's life. All is recorded by Matthew. But at the end of that period, when they arrived in Nazareth and set up home, the boy grew up. He became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. But do you catch this? He had to grow. <laughs> he is a human boy. He has to grow physically, mentally, emotionally. He has to grow as a human being. So Jesus, when he's a boy... He was not going around thinking, you know, I'm God. He was thinking that he was a boy, that Mary was his mother, and Joseph was the only father he knew, though Joseph did not biologically father him. Now, Mary and Joseph knew his identity. But you know, there's a long distance between birth and the time a man emerges on the pages of the gospel. Jesus is 30 years old. But there's one glimpse one glimpse in Luke chapter 2 of when Jesus began to know and acknowledge his true identity. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. It says, every year, verse 41, 
his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. And after those days were over, it was about a week, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Why? Because they traveled in a caravan with, with other family members all coming to the Passover. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? And everywhere they went, no one said, no, they had not seen him. So they returned to Jerusalem and began looking for him, searching for him. When they did not find him in the caravan, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him. Where was he? He was in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them. These are the rabbis and the scribes, Sadducees and Pharisees, and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So these teachers of Israel are asking Jesus questions, and he has this profound knowledge of the word of God, of the prophets. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, like any mother who's been worried and anxious because her son's missing, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now there's the cry of an anxiety-ridden mother. Where have you been? I thought something horrible had happened to you. I wondered where on earth, where on earth is Jesus? But here's Jesus' astonishing reply. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? Now that's not Joseph's house. This is the house of Yahweh, God, the God of Israel, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they did not understand what he said to them. But then we read, and then he went down with them, and they came to Nazareth, and he was obedient to them. He was subjected to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. She pondered them. Why? Because she's connecting it with what the angel had told her and all of the events surrounding his birth that Luke and Matthew record. And then we read, about the next several years in Jesus' life, from the age of 12 until the age of 30, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Remember, Jesus is human. He is the man, Christ Jesus, the man, Messiah, Jesus. He took on humanity. He humbled himself in doing so. He did not cease to be divine, but his divinity was hidden even from him. And so he has a a slow, emergent consciousness, self-consciousness of his true identity as the incarnate word. Now, the next glimpse we have at this point, we know that Jesus is coming to the knowledge of who he is. And we read it in Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. It's at the baptism. Here's what Mark says. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized, that is, immersed by John in the Jordan. 
And when he, that is Jesus, came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. At 12, he knew that he was the Son of God. At 30, when he was baptized, he heard the voice of the Father from heaven saying to him, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. Now we know following his baptism that Jesus went into the wilderness for some 40 days when he was tempted of the devil about this whole identity of his being the Son of God and what they meant. And when he emerged from that victorious, John records for us in John 1, 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said to those onlookers and those scribes and Pharisees that were questioning him, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who writes ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but the Father revealed to me, to him, as he's coming from the water, you are my beloved son. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see, the Spirit descending and resting on, he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Hear the words of John. I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. So we know at this point, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus knew who he was the man, and the one who is the Son of God, the one who shares in deity as well as humanity. Thus he can be the mediator between God and man. And as man, he can take on to his body the sins of mankind, and he can become their sacrifice, so that they might be redeemed. The author of Hebrews in chapter 10 quotes from Psalm 40 and relates this great truth to us in the words of that psalm. Let me turn to that particular verse in Hebrews chapter 10. And it says, A body hast thou prepared for me. A body. You are not satisfied with just the sacrifices of animals. They could never really take away sin. But you have ordained a perfect sacrifice. And so the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 10, but in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ, when Messiah that is, when Jesus, the Christ, came into the world, 
He says, that's to the Father, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come to do the will, your will, O God, as it is written to me in the scroll of the book. That's why John the Baptist said on that day, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights. And the next time, remember who Jesus is because he alone is the Savior of people.